Good morning, everybody. uh, Proverb 23 this morning, if you want to turn there. It's kind of a long one, so I'm kind of getting right at it here. Again, uh, he is the writer taking several verses to get his point across as opposed to the rapid fire that we've been used to up to this point. And uh, it helps him, I think, for myself anyway, it helps me flesh it out a little bit more. So um, we'll pray, we'll get started, and uh, we'll let God speak. Lord, we thank you for this morning and the time we get to spend in your word. We set this morning aside to worship you in our hearts, with our lives. We show up, we, um, we dedicate this time to you. Lord, help us to make the most of it, that our ears would be wide open to your Holy Spirit, to be our teacher and guide through your word. We pray that our, our minds would be focused, uh, we'd be distraction-free this morning, and able to hear what you have to speak to your servants today. So um, we prepared ourselves, our hearts, through worship and song and through prayer, and now as we sit and listen, God, we pray that you complete this time um, with just some, um, well, some changes, God, some things that just touch our hearts. We know that we've got room to grow, obviously. We're being conformed into your image, and that's our desire this morning is to, is to do that. Help us to be the living epistles that this world needs to see when we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. That will come up in the text today, being a living epistle. Um, um, recently, uh, David Spencer shared with us, he's got his last Sunday in Africa over there, and he'll be heading home here. He's, I'm sure, excited to get back, but also a little torn. He shared something on Facebook this morning, which I appreciated, about a book that came out about Jesus' baptism, a children's book that in the children's book, it claimed that Jesus said, I'm here to be baptized, to be cleansed from all of my sins. And it's amazing how that stuff can sneak up and sneak into doctrine. It's just a children's book. It's got to be good. It's got to be okay. She's a well-known author. She's got a whole series of Bible things. Well, if you're not careful, those things creep in. If you don't know, Jesus had no sin. There was no sin at all in Jesus. And so... Someone else posted then a comment below our posting as a church on the same subject. You know, the AI is writing a new Bible, and if you don't know your Bible, you won't know that it's a different kind or that the scriptures are off on those things. And that's true. Um, How do you counteract all of that? It seems like a pretty daunting task to keep the world on the straight and narrow. We can't, can we? I mean, it's... But what we can do is for ourselves, read the scriptures, know the Bible, and be those living epistles that the world will read. You. You'll have a reason for the hope which lies within you. You have the passages in your hearts applied, and you can share them with them. And, hey, I read this in this new Bible. Well, that's not true, and here's why. There's going to be a lot more need for that. It used to be you could just take them by the hand to church and say, I brought a friend. Get him, God, you know, kind of thing. And it's not going to be like that. The one-on-one evangelism, the one-on-one sharing of your faith, the one-on-one scripture sharing be vital in these last days. So that's why I said, God, let us be the living epistles that we need to be this week, that the, that the Bible people read as us, that we're living it out for them to see. And of course, also taking them to the scriptures. 
So in verse 1 of chapter 23, it's actually verses 1 through 3 is our first section. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Seems like he's talking more about spiritual things than roast beef, in my opinion. But he could be. What's the point of the meal? We could go from that aspect. Why am I sitting here at the table of a ruler? Is it because he just really wanted to share his roast beef, or does he have something on his mind that he wants me to join in with him? You know, be careful. Don't dive in too quick. Don't be so thankful for that little morsel of roast beef to say, I'll do whatever you want me to do, Mr. Ruler. You know, be careful. There's some deception mixed into some of these things sometimes. You have to carry yourself in such a way that you can be respectful to the person of authority or in leadership, but not in awe. I think there's a difference. I see a lot of people become in awe or uh, infatuated with power and people of authority. Like, I don't know what I would do if I met the president. Well, I do. I've got some questions, actually. I'll be respectful, of course, because of the office. I've got some things I need to talk to him about. I'm not in awe, but I am respectful. I think that's important when you meet with a ruler. So that's all I put for those three verses. Be careful. He's warning his son, put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. If that's something that you find in your heart that you have an inclination to, you know, I, I don't know how to control myself around people like that, you know. Well, learn to, you know, be careful. Verse 4. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. I will set your eyes. Uh, well, that's, that's my break. Um, just those two verses, five, four and five. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. Don't work too hard for riches. And here's the, here's the, I mean, the, because of your own understanding, okay? We've read several passages about working hard. That is, in and of itself, the principle God teaches every one of us, to work hard, regardless of what it necessarily provides for us. We're to work hard, okay? Um. There's something good for our soul, good for our spirit to work hard, to keep this flesh as tired as possible. You know, I hear that a lot. People, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Good. You don't have time to sin kind of thing, you know. Forever in, in scriptures, it's always talking about the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit. And it seems that we have the things of the flesh down. It's not hard for us to figure out that we love to eat, that we love a lot of things that are for our bodies, for our flesh. We love all the products that we can put on ourselves. And we like all the ways that can make us look good. We like the fine apparel. You know, it's not hard for us to do that for our flesh. And so the Bible is forever trying to get us, don't forget your soul. Don't forget your spirit. Don't leave it in the dust. Don't leave it behind. Don't be so consumed with the outward, with the hardware, that you forget the software, that you forget the soul and the spirit. 
Yes, work hard, and I've got passages that explain that to us, especially to the Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians, it's oh, my mouth is not this morning. First Thessalonians, and that's a hard word though, Thessalonians, you know. Chapter four, verses eleven through twelve that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may, not la- that you may lack nothing. Work hard with your hands, your own hands. Don't eat other people's bread. Eat, eat your own bread. Second Thessalonians, the next letter to them, chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day. Now, that, is that working too much to be rich? Or is he just working hard and it produced a loaf of bread for him? So you got to balance these scriptures out so we understand what he's saying. We labored and toiled night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So there's a balance between working too hard to become rich and just working hard to provide for your family and for yourself. Okay, Both are very true. The writer here, though, is concerned with the infatuation or the love of money. It can consume a person. It's not for the loaf of bread. It's not because it's a good work ethic or a good thing that God desires of us to keep our flesh in submission and to work hard and to not steal from other people's work, but to make our own work and to provide for ourselves, to get so in love with the dollar signs and the racking up that we work over hard and we forget again the things of the Spirit for a whole nother reason. Some people are too lazy. We can't get them off the couch to get their own money for their own bread. Other people, we can't get them home to spend time with their family to worship God. There's a balance there. And so he's just saying, son, keep that balance. Don't overwork. Nothing wrong with the rich part. It's the overworking. Don't be so infatuated with, I don't have time for family. I don't have time to have that. No, back off. Cease, he says. Cease. Besides that, the money just takes off. You know? It does. I was looking at um, revocable trusts and, and things like that. As I get older, I need to start planning better and not be so cavalier about my kids and my grandkids and all these things and what's going to happen to assets afterwards. So I read those things and I look into those things and you know, you look at inheritance tax, which isn't so bad anymore. And, and you know, you got to reach a certain threshold for that. And so you start thinking about all those things, not because you're infatuated, because you just don't want it to fly away <laughs> into, the, into the air or into the federal government's hands. And I, <laughs> you want to pay your taxes, but I mean, as little as possible, no offense. It's for my kids. It does fly away. Verse 6. Do not eat the bread of a miser. Switches gears a little bit. Well, maybe not. That might be the person working too hard for money too. Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. 
Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. I don't know if you've ever run into somebody like that. Maybe you are somebody like that. I won't look anybody in the eye right now. No, have as much as you want. I hope they don't take any more, you know. Oh, there's plenty. I was hoping to have leftovers tomorrow. You know, that miserly kind of attitude. Oh, enjoy. I'm glad you're enjoying. You see how much they put away? My goodness, there was no meat for the. Dylan does that all the time. He comes to my house and he eats all my steak. The kid loves steak. It's like, Dylan, there's vegetables too. That's my son-in-law. I thought I'd pick on him this morning a little bit. Don't be the miser is the idea. And they, well, actually, the warning is don't eat the bread of a miser. Be careful about those folks that say stuff like that. Dylan needs to be careful when he comes to my house. <laughs> Miserly father-in-law, you know. No, we make extra for him. Do not eat the bread of a miser nor desire his delicacies. It's a, it's a bad thing. I mean, the idea is um, God loves generosity, Loves it. That's who he is. I think we forget that sometimes. We, we like the verses, and we've talked about this before. I don't mean to harp on it, but, you know, to be a good steward of what God's given you is very important, of course, but not to the point of being a miser. It's meant to be used, you know. And I try to teach my kids this, and, and as anybody that will listen to me, God is looking for a hose or a flow through your life and not a pool or a pond. You know, God wants the blessings to go in and out equally, not get stuck someplace because we've dammed up an area of our life, you know, kind of thing. And so be careful about that, being miserly. Um, well, it's, it's dishonest. You, you put on airs about being generous, and of course, of course, because you know that's the right thing to say, and you know that's pleasing to people, you know. Oh, yeah, have as much as you want, but in your heart, you're like, oh, 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 you can't handle it, you know. That's a very, well, it's, it's just not God's heart on matters, you know. Isaiah 32, 8, and I picked one that just has generous written all through the, it's just one verse, but look how many times, this is three different times. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, you get the point, you know. A generous man devises generous things. He plans them out. <laughs> you know, Christmas is coming. Oh, as a grandparent, you're like, <laughs> now don't go overboard, Grandpa. Oh, I won't. <laughs> Where's the tree? It's under there somewhere, you know, kind of thing. Plan for it. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But be generous. With everyone around you, be generous. With everyone. God is so generous with us, I don't think we have a, any reason to be miserly with our grace, with our mercy, with forgiveness the things of the spirit, or the things of the flesh. He's been so generous with us, we, we should follow suit and be those epistles that people are reading. Verse 10, do not remove the ancient landmark. We read that last week, but he's going to build on that a little bit. Nor enter the fields of the fatherless. For the Redeemer is mighty and he will plead, the cause, plead their cause against you. So this is a different kind of field. These are, uh, this is a fatherless, this is a, an orphan who's, who has this land, it's theirs, and 
obviously someone thinks they're going to take advantage and move these boundaries and rip this kid off from their inheritance or for whatever was left to them from his parents or her parents. God says, I'm watching that landmark, and I see you doing that. I'm watching you uh, minister, you know, to this orphan in this tough time, and I see you pocketing it. You're palming his cash, or you're palming his assets. You're putting them in your pocket and not where they need to be, you know. I plead that case, and God's got some pretty strong things to say about this. Because he has his eyes on the fatherless and on the widows, he's watching over them carefully. And we spent a lot of time on this last week, so I don't want to beat a dead horse here. James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. To visit doesn't mean to step, stop by for coffee, you know. I mean, it can but not what he's talking about here. He means you, when you are there to help a widow or an orphan or do something for them, that's true religion. You see their need, you see their lack, and you want to help and meet that. Deuteronomy 10.18 speaks of God's eye on the fatherless and the widow. He administers, God administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. God is going to administer justice for them. He's watching them. And, and all the writer here is saying to his son is, don't be on the wrong side of that justice. Be on God's team when it comes to orphans and widows and people that are um, being oppressed. You know, Don't be on the wrong side of that argument or of help. So we're warned there. Verse 12, apply your heart to instruction. Lean into that. We talked about that on Wednesday, I believe, and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. So God's authorizing child abuse. No. That's how people read it. And it does sound pretty strong. Okay. I guess we're getting a rod at Walmart today, honey, on the way home. Why are you beating me? Bible told me to this morning. I'm just doing what God said. No. I mean, hopefully we're not that stupid. This is after the discipline, the spanking, the whatever you need to do physically is after this, the hard work. Spanking and all that stuff is easy. It's hard because you love the child, but it's an easy thing for someone who doesn't want to do the pre-work. And the pre-work is this. After your home is filled with the love of God, absolutely filled from corner to corner with the love of God, your house is filled with grace Grace upon grace, your kids are soaking and marinating in the grace of God in your home. Mercy, mercy is paramount. There by the grace of God go I. I've done that. I've been there. I know that. You know, the teaching, the, all this training in the ways of the Lord is taking place in your home. Forgiveness is a regular habit in the home. There's joy, the joy of the Lord. Is permeating every aspect of their lives. And there's so much patience, you don't know what to do with all the patience in your house. Then, if you got a kid that is marinating in all those ingredients in your home and there is no reason for them to be crazy and acting out like this, you may need to be physical with them in these areas. To stop that sin nature that is obviously not on board with the things of God and to bring them back to the fold. Of course, 
Don't let it go undone because the world is going to use a rod on them if that doesn't get in check, in control, under God's authority and love for the child. The world doesn't have a love for the child. They'll just rot him. They'll just beat him just because. But a parent can guide and direct because of love. So make sure you're doing all of those things. I don't, I don't think I've ever had to qualify this passage before, but I find people, parents, are like, yeah, they're just out of control. The Bible says I'll just beat them. No, that, that is taking it out of context and not within the entirety of God's word. There's a whole lot of um, ground that needs to be covered first. There's a whole lot of foundation work that needs to be happening. And if you haven't laid those foundations in your kids, no wonder they're acting like they are. It isn't their fault. You taught them to. They watched your rage. They watched your outbursts. They watched your disobedience to the authorities in your life. They've learned all of that stuff. And they're just behaving like what they're watching or what you're letting them watch. You know? So I want to put that in perspective. Of course, um, we spanked all of our kids. All of them needed it at one time or another. They did. We were about done by the age of five or six, though. Never had to do it again. Lightly, lovingly talked about it. Here's why we're doing this. It's because of this. And you can't do that. We told you, to, you know, several times you can't do this. And so this is what has to happen. This is, this is the, these are the consequences for your actions. And then afterwards, you sit down with them some more. And you know, I love you and I forgive you. And all this, I know that these tears are of repentance and I understand that. Now we can't do this anymore. Do you understand what's taking place here? There's a lot that goes on. We don't just run around with sticks, you know? Okay, we get that, right? Hebrews chapter 11, verses one through two. Now the faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know that verse, but verse two is just as important. For by it, by that faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now why would I put that in with, you know, the rod beating thing? Because our kids need a good testimony. I can take them to church. I can make them memorize scripture. But if they don't see the living epistle, in their lives, walking in God's grace and salvation, it's going to be really hard for them to learn. They'll have to learn from the Holy Spirit because they're not getting it from me if I'm not living it out. My faith is a good testimony for my kids. You don't see dad doing that. You don't see mom doing that. We don't let that happen in our home. We don't allow for that. That's not okay with God or us. 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. We are living epistles. First time I heard that verse was when we were in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and we wrote to the company, Living Epistles T-Shirt Company, and I just boldly rasped them and say, you got any extra shirts you want to give us? And they sent us this huge box of shirts in the middle of the desert. All these Living Epistle T-Shirts, you know, the Lord's Gym, you know, where Jesus is doing a push-up. You know, regardless of what you think about those T-Shirts, we were super excited to get them. And so I looked at word in living epistle, where did they get their name from? And I found that verse and it spoke volumes to me. And it, it was one of those moments, you know, oh, 
all the guys are watching me, you know. It's one thing to tell someone about Jesus. It's another thing to be Jesus around them, you know, to be like Christ. So important. Anyway, verse uh, 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice indeed. I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. It is a wonderful thing to see your kids doing, you know. Hey, you know, I saw a little glimmer of Jesus there. That was neat. I see that in other people, you know. Um, Anna was on her way home. She got to visit for a few days here while working and uh, was on her way home last night. Long drive all the way back to Cape Girardeau, you know, uh, other corner of the state here. And she started saying, you know, I wonder if Noah had any grand, you know. And she started asking all these questions and all these things. And she said, and, and as she's going through this spiel, like she's just bored, you know, and she's driving, you know, and texting, you know, so that's a no-no. But um, she mentioned... Uh, I saw this license plate that said this, and then my mind thought this, and then I said, God's talking to you right now. And JC kind of joked, and he says, yeah, so you're supposed to say, speak, Lord, your servant hears, you know. So, the, you know, the siblings, they just, they, they pile on. And I was like, I, you, you need to just enjoy this time. He's leading your train of thought. You're driving by yourself at night. You see a license plate. Your mind goes to Noah. You begin to think about this. And that. That's the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit leading you through a conversation. And I saw a glimmer of my daughter's relationship with her God. Not my God. Her God. Her Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one of those things. And so this ver- these two verses really, oh, my daughter. I'll change the word. I'm not supposed to change God's word. But my daughter, if your heart is wise... My heart will rejoice indeed. I myself, yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. It was neat to see, you know. I like that when I see God come out of my kids. When I see their relationship with him show up. Verse 17, do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. There will be that time, there will be those battles when you look at the unsaved, the sinners that don't know Jesus, versus your life, and at times, they will look like they're getting ahead and you're lagging behind. Don't envy that. There is a hereafter. Whatever it is that you think that you've denied yourself for the sake of the Lord is going to reap dividends when you get to heaven is the idea. They, they're living for today, for tomorrow they die, eat, drink, be merry, because they're going to perdition. But we're not. And so he's just encouraging his son. When you see that, and it looks like they're, don't be envious of those sinners. Be zealous even more for the fear of the Lord. Because there is a hereafter. There is an eternity, and where you spend it depends on how you are here, and whether you receive Christ as your Savior here, and live for him here. This is where we make that decision. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Key to that is he stamped eternity on our hearts. We all know it. It's too weird to think about just disappearing. Oh, they're dead, and that's it. Consciousness is gone. Everything just... And for the life of me, I can't figure out an atheist. I just, 
I can't. It's the most illogical thing to me. Um, I know. I know why. I mean, I'm not. I'm not ignorant. I know that there's there's sin and there's there's the you know self governing and and I know I know all the reasons why they're an atheist. But it's not because they don't believe in God. It's not. Any atheist that's thought it all the way through, no matter how much time you give it, if if what you say is true, Mister or Mrs. Atheist, it just everything just evaporates. The whole universe is cooling. <laughs> eventually, there aren't going to be any suns left. I mean, it may be millions and billions and trillions of years like you think, but eventually it's nothing. Whether that's when you die, it's nothing. Then you go nowhere. And What's the point of living? I don't understand how an atheist gets up in the morning and says, yeah, you know, there's no point. There's no eternity. It's just you evaporate. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's the most terrifying thought in my mind because God stamped eternity on my heart. I just, I know it's not true. Eternity is real, you know? So God has done that. He has made eternity on our hearts. He's put that on there so that we're always thinking about it. That's why an atheist spends their whole life talking about a God they don't believe in. <laughs> I mean, for the, they have other reasons that they state, but they don't want to be reminded of that, that eternity. They're trying to quiet that voice. But... There is a hereafter, and we'll be held accountable. Verse 20, do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. He's just saying, look, there, there are going to be people that make other choices than you make, different choices than you do about alcohol and about how much they eat and all that. Just don't mix with them. Yes, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, and he was considered a wine-bibber and a glutton himself because he sat with them, but he didn't become them, is the idea. He's saying, don't mix with them. Don't let that bad company corrupt your good habits. Watch out for that. Proverbs thirteen twenty: he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Be with wise people, you know. Yes, minister to the fool, minister to those that don't know the Lord, minister to those that need to be brought along in the faith, of course. But they're not your peers. They're not. I think we forget that sometimes, that we're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. It it kind of goes along with that being in awe with people of power. I don't think we fully grasp what our role is here on earth and who we represent and what we do. It's not meant to be arrogant at all, but we do walk into a room as an ambassador for the most high God, as a child of his, as we've been adopted. And of course we don't feel worthy of that calling. And yet there it is. That's who we are. So when I walk into a room with a Congressman or a Senator or someone else of importance or that the world deems important, they're not as important as what I have to say about Jesus Christ. It isn't. No level of, and no amount of, um, 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 I lost the word here. Uh, I got to find it. Hold on. Legislation. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. No amount of legislation equals what I have to say about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Um, 
So keep that in mind. When, when, we walk with, when we walk with people around us that don't know the Lord, remember what we're there for. We mix company with everybody, but it, the point is that we are ambassadors for Christ in that company, okay? Not, not to become a wine-bibber or a glutton. Um, verse 119, which is Psalm 119, I'm sorry, chapter 119 of Psalms, is all about the word of God. And in verse 63, it says, I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. It's very important. We're doing that this morning. Exactly that verse is happening right now. You are companions of each other. You've all decided to hear the word of God this morning. You all felt like it was important for this Sunday morning to spend time in God's word, and you're doing that, so it's wise. Verse 22. Listen to your father who begot you. (laughs) And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For the harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim, and increases the unfaithful among men. Now, why put all that together? Well, mom and dad, for the most part, the whole kids' lives up until they're 18 or 17 are leading them. This is what you're looking for. This is what your husband or your wife should look like, you know? And there are choices out there that aren't like those things that we tried to instill in you, and they'll be shiny. And they will be attractive to you for different reasons. Not for the reasons mom and I shared with you, but for your own physical needs, they'll be interesting to you. And you need to guard your heart. Guard your eyes. Listen to what we have to say to you. I understand that. (laughs) I see that she's beautiful. I see that she has this, that, or the other thing. But she doesn't have Jesus Christ. I can save her. You can't. Jesus can, and it's going to be her choice. It's going to be her calling from him, not from you, you know. Be careful, be careful, be careful, he says. Harlot is a deep pit. A seductress is a narrow well. That's terrifying to me. There's a lot of things I wanted to be, you know. I'm a claustrophobic person, and I mean like... Not like I can't be in a closed elevator or something like that. I'm not one of those. Sorry if you're like that. But like you put me in a a culvert or a pipe where my shoulders are touching both sides or something because you got to climb in there. Mm -hmm. No. No, whatever's in there is just not going to get out, I guess, because it ain't going to be me that goes in there. So when he describes this, this helps me. The seductress is a narrow well. Say no more. Say no more. I will not do it, you know. And that's something you can teach your kids to purpose in their hearts and to recognize. I think it's important to recognize bait. I really do. To teach your kids to recognize. I want to teach them the truth. I don't want to show them all kinds of bait, 
That's not the point. But to recognize false from the true. To say, here's what a godly woman might look like. She doesn't have to be. She can be pretty, you know. That's not what you're looking at, though. You're looking for the heart. And so when you see the seductress, you can say, that's bait, son. Or daughter, that's bait, you know. Nice car. He's got a nice car. I admit it. I want his car. I'm a little covetous there. Yeah, and he's over six foot, and I'm not, you know. I'm looking at Mariah specifically, my other daughter. Tall, dark, and handsome with a nice car, but does he know Jesus? Or will he break your heart? Because you'll be in love with him, but he won't be in love with you because he's interested in everything with a skirt, you see. Careful. Be careful. Verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of a mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When, I, when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Um, we probably all have someone like this in our lives. And maybe you are a recoverer, someone who's going through getting out of that um, seduction of alcohol and, and so on. Um, he's telling his son, it's, and you will see that several more times here, it's not for kings. It's not for kings. Your heart is changed. It breaks down barriers. And we've talked about this before, and I don't think anybody doesn't know about these things. If you've never had a drink, wonderful. Good for you. Steer clear of it. It doesn't taste good, first of all. You got to get used to it. You shouldn't have to get used to anything. It should taste good. You popped open a can of Coke when you were a kid. No one had to talk me into that again. Delicious. Scotch? Mmm, fire in my throat. Love it, you know. Horrible. That makes me gag just thinking about it again. I've been down this road, I guess, so I have experience, unfortunately. It gets to that place where your heart isn't the same heart as it is when it's sober. It just isn't. Your mind isn't the same mind when you're sober. You're a different person. You become a different person. And you wake up and you're embarrassed and you can't believe the person you were because that's not the person you are. It truly is under the influence. You're under its influence. And so he's just telling his son, don't. It's nothing but regret for you. It's nothing but regret for you. It's hard. It bites like a serpent. It tastes okay. It looks okay. I mean, and it's social, but it hurts you and it hurts others. So he's warning him, steer clear of that. Steer clear of that. And that's what we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the time we've had in it. We thank you for the things you've taught us. We open our hearts this morning that you would show us new things and things that need to change in our lives. And some of them might have been by surprise. 
We didn't think we were going to get taught that today. And yet that's what your Holy Spirit had for us. So the lesson that you gave us is the lesson we receive. We thank you for it, Lord. Help us to now apply it and to be doers of your word. Help us to be living epistles. Help us to steer clear of those things that can trip us up and, and, well, and ruin us, Lord, the bait that's out there. Help us to just hear your words and follow your words and not have to experience the trouble and the trial, which this writer, Lord, we know Solomon does. He doesn't listen to his own advice that he gives to his own son. Or well, we don't want to be like that. We can learn from this. <laughs> we don't have to have life teach us. We can let you. So God, help us to be um, very mindful of this, to remember this this week, and to see those opportunities to apply your word this week as we run into people, run into situations, or come to crossroads, God, that we make the right decisions today so when the crossroads come, we know exactly which way we're going to go. So we commit ourselves to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. Be glad to pray with you.